Welcome to It Just Makes Sense. A podcast by two easily distracted, higher educated former lovers that explores all of the unpopular opinions, conspiracy theories, and cult leaders that make you want to scream, It It Just just Makes Sense. sense. I'm Sam Smith. And I'm Jeff Seifert. This is our last podcast of 2023. (gasps) It is. Isn't that wild? It's been four years. This is season four. We started really? In, yeah, we started in 2020. 2020 no wonder I'm burnt out. <laughs> you can say that again. Guys, if we had a camera on this bitch right now. I look rough. For she had she looked like she went through it over the holidays. I was. <laughs> went through it. <laughs> That's for <laughs> She's in a better mood this week uh, than last week, though. Was I in a bad mood last week? Yes. All right, well. You know what? I can't control my emotions. <laughs> but today, we're going to end the year with another homicide for the holidays. I love it. Love it. So we're off to, guess where? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Santa Claus, Georgia. Oh, good one. Good one, right? Yeah. Like, I kind of want to live there. All the streets are named after the Christmas season, and it's like a really small community. It seemed really fun. However. What? Then. They announced the slogan of the city. What is that? The city who loves children. Oh, that's crazy. I said I can't live, can't live there. I can't live there. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. And like everyone in the town was so excited to like say the slogan. And I was like, oh, okay. That's weird. <laughs> right? So Santa Claus is 90 miles from Savannah. And it has only about 200 residents. Really? Like it's a small, small community. Huh. They go all out for Christmas as one would expect. Sure. 40-year-old Danny Daniels was born and raised there. Who the fuck names their kid Danny (laughs) if their last name is Daniels? Danny Daniels? This sounds made up. I went went to school with a guy named Michael Michaels. There was a guy last who plays for the Chiefs. His name was Tommy Thompson. Yeah, it's like, why? 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 Why do these people do that? We call them M squared. Oh, oh, that's good. I like that. Although I think if I was Jeffrey Jefferson, I think I'd like that. Uh, right? Kind of has a nice ring to it. Imagine if I was Sam Samson. I'd be like, no, no. enough. That's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> also, I should say, before we really dive into it, trigger warning for all the awful things. Oh, really? It's, yes. Okay. Okay. Mm, so Danny Daniels was a mail carrier and everyone knew him. He was a quiet guy, but everyone in town loved him. He was a single parent to a teenage daughter. And Danny was going through some hard times and was turning to alcohol to help him get him through. Not a great idea, Danny. But he wanted to make a change. He started attending support groups, and that's when he met Kim Lamp, who had three kids as well. Lamp? Yep. I like it. Right? Good names. Kim was trying to make her life better, and Danny gave her stability to do so. The two of them fell madly in love, and in 1991, they got married, merging the families together. It was Kim's dream to have a home and a family, and she finally achieved it. They even became foster parents to welcome more children into the home. The two of them loved being able to open their homes to children who weren't in safe or stable environments and provide it for them. And honestly, like I give them all the credit because I thought about fostering before, and I don't think I could do it. Yeah, I think it's a little tough. It is really hard. Like I just yeah. don't know. Like people have to have such patience and like. Not even that. I feel like flexibility because you have to have be able to like have a job that will let you take like 
go to the doctor's appointments or if mm. they have to go to therapy or if they have to do like you and know i mean i've seen so in my circle of orbit of people like yeah. i've seen like really tough times and really good yeah like my sister's sister-in-law they ended up adopting two kids that yeah. they fostered but then my other friend she they like dropped a special needs child on them like last minute and it was way more intense than they were led to believe so like i've seen both yeah but yeah yeah. i had um i know someone who fostered and then ended up adopting the two children they had fostered um so yeah so in 1997 they had a full house with three foster children added to their biological four As Christmas was approaching, they were excited to celebrate the holidays all together as a family. They decorated the house, baked cookies. They loved the holiday season. But it was on December 4th, 1997, that the Santa Claus Police Office received a call. It was coming from Bacon County. Three small girls had been found alone on a road, and they said that they lived in Santa Claus. Hmm. The police raced to meet them, and then they called the Santa Claus Dispatch Center to do a welfare check on the home to see what was going on. Deputies ran right out to the address provided by the girls and got there after 5 p.m. The deputy figured he'd be greeted with, like, anxious parents or someone meeting them at the door looking for the girls. But when he got there, it was dead quiet. No lights on in the house, no noise, nothing. But, like, also to me, Baking County is about an hour away. Like, I would not think I was going into a home with anxious parents. Like, I would be like, how the fuck did these girls end up an hour away? Yeah, that's crazy. Because the girls are young. They're like three, four, and seven or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's wild. wild. You would think of like, well, wait. Wait a minute. You wouldn't think the parents would be anxious? I don't think. I think that I would, like, think I would say more to the girls, like, who dropped you off? How did, How did you, you get, get here? here? Like, yeah, do your yeah, parents yeah. know you're missing? Like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But, like, he just was like, oh, I'm expecting to just go there. The girls got lost. Like, that's what it seemed like to me that he was saying. Got lost? Show. Like, you know what I mean? It was just weird the way that he was, weird. like, acting. So, but when he got there, the house was dead quiet. No lights on in the house. No noise. Nothing. As he walked towards the home, he realized that the front door was wide open. So at this point, he got on the radio and advised the dispatchers that the door was open and he was going to make entry into the residence. He went in and announced his presence, but there was no response. But he heard three things. The alarm system was beeping. In the distance, he could hear music from a clock radio, and he also heard a baby crying. So he kept walking further and further into the house towards the sound of the baby. But as he walked into the dining room area, a little boy comes out from underneath the dining room table. There's he, a fourth child? Yeah. Because they had four plus three fosters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You did say that already. Got it, got it. He got it. asked the little boy where he could find his parents, but he was so young he couldn't explain anything. He was only like a year and a half, two years old. So he took the cop's hand and led him to his parents' bedroom door. <gasps> the deputy told the little boy to wait outside. When he tried to open the door, he realized that there was something blocking it from being open. So instead of just grabbing the doorknob and opening it, he used two fingers and caught the edge of the door to try to push it open. As it does open, he's shocked to find a young girl crumpled up behind the door. This whole time, he's still hearing the baby crying. He looks into the room, and finally he saw a small, like, baby in a crib. He picked it up and got him away from the bed. He walked back into the room and reached down and picked up the edge of the sheet on the bed, and that's when he found the body of a female victim and a male on the right side of the bed. 
He couldn't believe what he was seeing, and he started calling for help to the dispatch. He continues on to the next bedroom, and it just gets worse. He saw blood everywhere, and amidst the blood, he saw a small child laying there. He said it was one of the worst things he had ever seen. But his first concern is for the two surviving children. He doesn't know if anyone is still in the house or not, so he grabs both kids and immediately gets them out. He puts them in his squad car and radios for more backup. As deputies are racing to the scene, they walk through the house looking for anyone who could be a threat, but they couldn't find anyone. Danny and Kim were the two bodies found on the bed. 16-year-old Jessica was the victim found on the floor of the bedroom, and 8-year-old Bryant was the other victim found in his bed. The police are shocked. They want to know who did this, and they also, like, right away, it was like, is this someone they know? Like, yeah. in a community of 200. Sure. Who did this? Who could have killed such beloved members of the town, especially in Santa Claus, where everyone knows everyone? But more than 40 miles away in Bacon County, deputies are trying to find out why or where um, the three girls were found on the side of the road earlier this day. It was 8-year-old Amanda, 9-year-old Brooke, and 10-year-old Amber. So I lied. They were a little bit older, but still. And they were found over 40 miles away from their home. The girls were asking to go home, and they didn't know why they couldn't. They were asking for their parents. But the police were waiting for CPS before they could tell them anything. Could you imagine? Yeah. And around the holidays. Wild. The deputies in Santa Claus needed help. They were too small to handle this. So support was called in, and the director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations came, and a few other towns sent their investigators to assist. It was then that they started to uncover some evidence. They found a ladder against the back wall of the house leading to a window into the bathroom so they could figure out how the person got in. And inside were even more critical clues. They found cigarette butts that they could try to get DNA from, fingerprints, and shotgun shells. But, like, to me, to then I was like, did this person not even, like, try to cover up what they did? Like, who's smoking cigarettes and just, like, throwing them around while committing a crime? And then this was what year? 1997, I believe. Yeah, I guess people probably weren't, like... 1991. Yeah, so it's still kind of old. Like, yeah. I mean, DNA was a thing back then, but right, I don't but think still. people... Also, I lied thought... again. It was 1997. Okay. They got married in 91, sorry. Got it. But so, still, like, yeah, just DNA... throwing cigarette butts all over the scene, it just seems weird to me. Yeah. Yes like, and no. Oh. Like, I just don't think it was as big of a thing as it was, like, in the 2000s. I don't mean, like, of leaving DNA evidence. I mean, like... You're just so lackadaisical about killing four people and you're just smoking cigarettes while you're doing it. Like, you uh, know what I mean? Yeah. Unless they did it after to calm their nerves. Hmm. Good like, point. that's what seemed weird to me. Yeah. You know? I was like, mm, okay. Anywho, as they're questioning the girls, they ask the girls if they're hurt and they said no. They tell them everything that they can remember. They remember being woken up and they heard, hey, you got to get up. Your parents aren't here and you got to go. One of the girls remembers it was a man who was a family friend. He told them that someone had broken into the house and their dad had called them to help. He took the other kids to a friend's house and they were supposed to go with him. Like the father took the other kids to a friend's house and the girls were supposed to go with him. The girls trusted him. So they said, "Okay, let's go. The man grabbed her and two of the other girls, or the three girls, and led them out of the house. Since the girls knew him, they believed him and left with him. I think at that age, I would have done the same thing. Since you knew him? Yeah. Since yeah. it was like a family friend. Probably. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have even like... Thought twice about it? Yeah. As you a know? kid, yeah. At eight, nine, and ten? 
I guess. And I think I would have been scared if they were like, there's someone broke into your house. Your dad said, like, come with me. He took the kids somewhere else. He, I, I think it would probably depend on who the person was. But if yeah. it was that close of a friend, yeah. I right? probably would have too. Sure. They said that they didn't really know him, but when he would come over, he would always play with them. His name was Scott. He was nice to them and played games with them, gave them piggyback rides when he would visit. He was just a nice guy. They said that they traveled in Scott's van out of town and they didn't know where they were going. The oldest girl, Amber, was nervous and didn't know what was going on, but just believed Scott and was waiting to figure out what to do next. After about a half hour of driving, they came to a bridge. He pulls under the bridge, puts it in park, and turns the van off. He tells Amber, the oldest, to take her clothes off. Mm. And she's petrified. For all she knows for certain is that she needed to do what he said. He starts to take his clothes off, and Amber sees a gun on the floor and a knife in his boot. Amber starts crying, and he tells her if she doesn't stop, he would do, this, he would do the same thing to the other two girls. So she stopped. She was then sexually assaulted in front of her two sisters. Uh. Like, that's what I mean by trigger warning. Like, yeah. I almost, like, vomited. And she's on the TV, like, talking about it. Ugh. It was awful. He then just got dressed, got, kept driving the girls, and dropped them off on the side of a dirt road and told them to get out. He said he would be back in 10 minutes. But as soon as he drove off, Amber remembers just screaming, run, and they ran as fast as they could to the first house for help. So while the girls are being questioned, there are other detectives canvassing the neighborhood in Santa Claus, asking neighbors if they had any information that could help. The neighbors are like, I don't know, like Danny was a, a mailman, like they came, they were a really good family. He carried his kids to church three times a week. They had foster children, like they were really good people. No one had anything, like they couldn't think of anyone that would want to hurt them. Right. So the police start asking around if anyone knew Scott, who would have spent time in the Daniels' home. And right away, people were like, yes. He came to a church service once, and Kim introduced him as the brother of one of the foster children they had in the house. The neighbors remember that Scott didn't really talk to adults, and he just really would only talk to the kids, which they thought was weird at the time, but they just kind of shrugged it off. Well, that's super weird. Right? So as the police try to dig up more about Scott, they're still questioning the girls about any strange or suspicious activity that could have been connected to their parents' role as foster parents. That's when Amber remembers an incident from two years earlier. They would do visitations with... um, So the children that were there that were foster children, they would get visitations with their parents at their house. Okay. The Daniels house. Kim loved having the visitations because she felt... Um, like she was connecting with the parents and talking to them about how they can change their life and getting their kids back one day. And she felt like she was helping them do so. All right. That's when Amber remembers that one parent, Latrell Mosley, at the time, Latrell's daughter, Joanna, was a foster child in the house. And in one visit, Latrell got very upset, but the girls didn't know at the time why. Amber just remembers that Latrell, like it was kind of wild. She goes, I just remember that she was into voodoo. <laughs> and at the time, she would come to the house and try to cast spells in the front yard. And the neighbors like, what's the word? Corroborated? Yes. <laughs> this. And they're like, I don't know. Like one neighbor was like, I don't know if it was really like voodoo or black magic, but she would like run around their house, like the outside of it, like saging it and like doing incantations and like all this crazy shit. That's when I would have to be like, we're doing visits Ma'am. at like a center. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't think I would have her we're at the We're not going to have her at the house. Right? 
Though the Daniels haven't seen much of Latrell in the past few years, the police think it's worth having a chat with her. But, like, also, why? Like, to me, that seems like a stretch. Yeah, if they haven't seen him in years. That's what I mean. Like, what? Yeah, that's a bit weird. When they asked Latrell about her relationship with the Daniels, she said it was innocent enough that they would come to the Daniels' house for visits to see Joanna, and sometimes she would bring her son, Jerry. That's when Jerry Heidler first set eyes on Danielle's teenage daughter, on the Daniels' teenage daughter, Jessica. Jessica was 16 years old at the time, and Jerry became attached to Jessica. He would come to the Daniels' residence and try to get Jessica to go out with him, and she would tell him no. As his infatuation grew, the Daniels spoke up. A couple of weeks later, Jerry came back to the house when he knew Danny would be at work, and Kim called Danny, and Danny came straight home and told him to keep the fuck away from his daughter and don't come back to his house. Seriously. Latrell was upset. She felt like Jerry was being mistreated. She didn't understand why they didn't want Jerry around. And since Jessica was one of the victims of the crime, the police wanted to talk to Jerry. Hmm. Also, how crazy of the mom. Yeah. Like, ma'am, she's 16 years old. Your son is like 20. It's weird. It's real weird. Right? He lives about an hour away. So while they're racing off to interview him, they start digging into his background. This part annoyed me. They were like, and guess what they found? Drugs. No, they're like, (laughs) I mean, some of it did make sense. But first they were like, a previous criminal. A DUI charge. And I'm like, okay. Like, I roll. Me too, but it doesn't mean I'm a murderer. Right? But, (laughs) but they made a startling discovery when they pulled up his charges. His name is Jerry Scott Heidler. They found Scott. He went by Scott, not Jerry. Oh, because the girl said said Scott. "Mm -hmm." Oh. Yeah. So anywho, they asked the girls if the name Jerry rings a bell. And they're like, no, no. And this guy's name was Scott. So then they show him a mugshot from his DUI arrest and they identify him right away. Fuck. But did he kill the four family family members? Like they know that he definitely kidnapped the girls, but like also, but like probably. Right, 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 right. Why he just happened to be (laughs) there to kidnap him and then sexually assault the child. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, deputies are en route to the Heidler house. But when they get there, there's no sign of Jeremy Scott Heidler or Jerry Scott Heidler at all. Can I please tell you how many times I kept wanting to I kept writing Jeremy and I wanted to say Jeremy and his name's Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, I don't know why. Interesting. So they start watching the residents and put out an all-point bulletin for him. While they wait for DNA results and the evidence at the crime scene, officers ask the girls to do a walkthrough before they can go home. Which is wild to me. So the girls take them through the route, the bridge, everything. I feel like I would have not been able to do it. As a kid? As a kid. Yeah, eight, like, nine, and ten years old. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Right? They drove them all the way to Elma, showed them the dirt road, everything. Amber said she was scared, but she knew that she had to tell them everything or else they may not capture him. So they send the girls to stay with a family friend while they process all the new crime scenes. And also, they're taking these girls through this route and they know their family's dead. Like, you know what I mean? That is wild. It's just kind of wild to me. But anyways... While they're processing all the new crime scenes and they're there under the bridge, investigators find some crucial evidence. They find semen under the bridge and it points directly back to Jeremy. They found semen under the bridge? How? Because that's where he sexually assaulted her. I understand that, but like... I don't know if he threw a condom out the window. Like, I don't know. Oh. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's ways to. Yeah, I get it. I, <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know. Also, they didn't say exactly what. They just said that he sexually assaulted her. True. You know? I was just thinking, like, it's been a little while. Like, how do they find it? But if it was a condom, yeah. 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 Or, like, if it's been like, only, uh, like, a day. Yeah. Well, anyways. Okay. They think Jeremy is likely who also... Jeremy. <laughs> Jerry. They think Jeremy... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they think Scott is likely also who killed the family. sued for libel. In order to connect the DNA, they have to find him first. So they're all over town handing out photos, bulletins, road stops, everything. Then earlier that evening, they finally spot him. This is the part that pisses me the fuck out. What? But he comes out of his mother's residence. Excuse me? I thought you said he wasn't home. <gasps> like, they were there. Ma'am. Like, why didn't you bust down the door? Ma'am. For rape and four murders? Sir? You didn't, like, go... You know what I mean? Yeah. He just walks out? So they capture him. However, he was under the floorboards of the house in, like, a crawl space. But still. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jerry Scott is charged with four counts of murder, three counts of kidnapping and burglary. And I was like, what about all the things? Thank you. Not mentioned. Really? Not to like the very end. But at first they said it's not like like they don't charge him with that. When he was brought in for questioning, he didn't fight it. Really? He confesses completely. He said it was like a dream to him. (gasps) He then takes them through the events that took place the night of the murders. He came in through the bathroom window. His intentions were to take Jessica and leave with her, the 16-year-old girl. But she refused to go with him. That's when he decided that his whole plan plan went off the rails. Grabbing a gun from the gun cabinet in the home, he charged at Jessica. She tried to reason with him. She ran for the safety of her parents' room when he shot her down. The parents woke up from all the noise and he just shot them both right in a row before they could even respond. He then went into the next bedroom and shot the little boy and took the three little girls and Jeez. left the two babies behind. But like, there's literally no reason for it. Like, yeah. it's so crazy. So they asked him why he didn't kill everyone in the home. And he said, because he ran out of shells in the gun. <gasps> That's the only reason That's why. That's fucking crazy. Isn't that crazy? So they have him in custody and awaiting trial. But then. What? Six months into his stay in the county jail. Murdered. He escapes. He escapes. He had cut through the bars and escaped jail. Cuts through the bars. Here's the thing. How? I don't know, but here's the thing. What? I feel like in quite a few, I mean, we've been doing this show for four years, but there's been a handful of cases where there's been a lot of escapes from jail. I mean, there to has To the point been. where I'm like, it's not that shocking anymore. Right. But like, How are when, all these people escaping jail? Well, they always have help. Right. He they didn't. Can, he didn't? He had to have. I don't know. They don't mention it. I mean, the one was the best one was Bambi. That was the ba- best one. Run, Bambi, run. Run, Bambi, run. I'm just like, what? So they start reaching out to survivors to locate them and protect them. And in the instance he may try to contact or hurt them. But Amber wasn't worried. She was like, he would have killed me when he had the chance. She was most more scared that he would do this to someone else. Alerts were put out everywhere. This was a manhunt. Hours passed. And then finally, that afternoon, they get an update. They got a call for a possible sighting walking beside of a man walking beside the highway. A trooper just a few miles from that location race off to find him. The police get to him, pull out their weapons, and he starts okay, he starts running towards the car and tries to get into the police car and steal it. Well. But he then finally drops to the ground and begs them not to shoot him. 
They immediately returned Jerry to jail, and he had a 24-hour surveillance and a deputy with him at all times until his trial. On August 30th, 1999, his trial finally begins. The community wanted the death penalty. Wait, 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 wait. Why, why does he go on trial if he admits to it all? I don't know. That seems stupid. He was appointed a public defender. Yeah, why did he go to trial? And why I don't know. Why didn't he and just, it, like, take a plea to... I don't know. You killed four fucking and people due, and you admitted to it. Due to the why, magnitude Why are you wasting case. the taxpayer dollars? I don't understand. But due to the magnitude of the case, a change of venue was granted. It was I, not tried in Santa Claus. I, I don't understand. It only took 20 minutes for the jury to deliver. Well, duh. He admitted to it. I think it was an if he would get the death penalty or not. Oh. So sentencing? It wasn't. Maybe. But they but they found him guilty in all counts, and they sentenced him to death. I'm so confused. Me too. Anyways, <laughs> Judge Walter McMillan handed him an additional two life sentences plus 110 years on three counts of kidnapping the three Daniels children, three counts of sodomy and child molestation, and one burglar- burglary. He's currently in Georgia awaiting execution. Oh, he's still alive? Mm-hmm. Fuck that. But, right? Like, that's one case where I'm like, kill him. Yeah. Because what? Yeah. What was the point? He deserves to die. Like I, as I'm doing this case, I'm like, oh my God, there's not even, it's just a horrible, 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 horrible case. Yeah. You know? Ugh. Ugh. Woof. Woof is right. So anywho, guys, sorry to leave you with that one. Merry Christmas to everyone on that. But let us know what you think. Always, you know what? Send suggestions. Give us ideas. Slide into the DMs. Slide into the DMs. You can follow us on our Facebook group. We had a, a bunch of new members join. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the team. You can follow me on Instagram at Sam Smith Says. You can follow me on everything at 1F and Jeff. Bye. Bye.